That's a lot of kids coming into a building. Many businesses will likely be taking employee temperatures as a measure to combat coronavirus. You're not benefiting from fear. Very strange accident. And now, the safety zone. So we're here today with Mike McCarty on the Safety Zone podcast. And today our topic is thermal kiosk. And in that sense, uh, what a thermal kiosk is, thermal cameras. And we're going to talk to Mike because in this time period of reopening of businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic, there's a lot of issues for safety and security that have to be taken place. So Mike, we want to talk about this thermal, and I say kiosk in the sense of the camera in the kiosk, um, but what is it and why is this um, really kind of a critical need for reopening businesses right now in the communities and states that are starting their phasing in? Yeah, absolutely. So to take a very complex solution and try to make it easy to understand Thermal cameras have been around for quite some time. Mostly they have been out of the reach of most small businesses, or if you think in terms of a church and ministry or a school, the cost of these was extraordinarily high. So what has kind of happened over the last, I don't know, maybe six or eight months, but especially with COVID starting in January or so here in the United States, the price of this technology has actually come down quite a bit. So what most businesses are looking for when they go back to work is, A, how do we social distance in the short term? So if this is phase two, going back into the workplace, we know we're not going back in the same way we left it two months ago. As we are bringing our team back into the office, we're bringing back in in phases and we're spreading them out. We're creating some distance within the office. And I think one of the things that organizations are looking for is how do I better assess and make sure that we're not bringing anything into the office? And so the, the thermal body cams, the concept of the kiosk is pretty simple. As I come in as an employee, a visitor, a volunteer, a contractor, I'm interacting with the kiosk. And we built these kiosks to go into safe zones like vestibules or in between doors where now individuals are interacting with the kiosk before we buzz you into the building. Because if there's any security issue and Pre-COVID, we were thinking any physical threat from armed intruder, sex offender, we want to contain that within the doors. Post-COVID, we've broadened that definition. Now we have another threat, which is the coronavirus. And so organizations are now looking at how do we contain that and keep it outside. And so we're integrating thermal body temperature cameras within the kiosk that can quickly read a body temperature skin. It goes through the, your eyes and can do a, a quick temperature. They can set a threshold so that if it's above a certain fever threshold, then it just stops them right there at the kiosk. Mm -hmm. It's not going to determine if they have coronavirus. I mean, it's not a medical doctor, but it catches these elevated temperatures. And then you can force them to interact with somebody through a speakerphone before you allow them to check into a building. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's amazing to me that you can 
I mean, I remember the first retina scan where it scans your eye as a, a security mode, but to be able to take your, your temperature. Now, is the system primarily driven for employees or is it driven for the consumer? If it's a business that's coming into the store, um, how does how does that work? I mean, what are, what are the are the businesses facing really the challenge of keeping their well? I know they're facing the challenge of keeping their people safe, but is it also a consumer driven aspect to it? Yeah, a- absolutely. A couple important points is when we started looking at this about six or seven weeks ago, if it made sense to integrate this within the kiosk, we reached out to some of our clients and the reaction was yes. And we were starting to hear from large corporations that had a lot of vendors or contractors. And quite honestly, the group that they were most concerned with was delivery trucks, semis coming in and they may have contained areas where they allow them to come in and set while the truck's being unloaded. And the fear was, what are they bringing into the environment? Well, a couple of things we had to look at. One, what are the rules or laws around this? Well, it has been eased now for employment. This would have been an absolute no-no pre-COVID to be standing there taking a body temperature or using some kind of device. The rules have all changed now as we're going back to to work. Mm -hmm. So I think organizations are looking at it in even phases as well. Do we start with our employees? Do we start with visitors? We may have fewer visitors as we go back to work. So I think the focus is going to be a lot on employment. Mm -hmm. The device that we have settled on is actually a multi-use device. It's not just a camera that's taking your temperature. It can do a couple different things, one of which it can read your RFID card. So really they're coming up and swiping, just like if they were going to swipe on a door, now they're going to swipe at the device. And while they're swiping, it's also going to do a quick scan. Mm. Understanding there are some other cameras that tend to be a lot further north in terms of price. I've seen them anywhere from 10,000 up to 40 or $50,000 that can do multiple people per second. The issue I'm starting to see with some of those cameras is if the most effective temperature is through the eyes, that at a distance, if it's mounted above doors and it's taking the temperature of multiple people, I'm not sure what the accuracy is or the privacy concerns. Now all of a sudden it flags Melinda Mm-hmm. who intervenes with Melinda in such a way that it's not creating privacy concerns or embarrassment for Melinda. And so I think the one-to-one is where we're starting, mm-hmm. where you're interacting with a kiosk, much more easy to manage, much more likely to get a better read by being able to scan the eyes quickly. And so I think first phase will be employees, but I know we're hearing from all of our schools as they prep to go back this fall, they have a big concern with volunteers and contractors and you even have students, but you got to really think through in certain states what is allowed and what is not allowed in terms of the use of this technology. So there's some gray areas there that still need to be worked through. Yeah. Yeah. Some states like Florida, where we do a lot of work with schools, facial recognition is not allowed. So we can do this. We just wouldn't be able to identify, say, the student coming up to a kiosk by face. It would have to be with their ID card or some other modality. But then you're talking about 
that's a lot of kids coming into a building at one time and you actually do this and do it accurately without creating huge bottlenecks at the front door. I know we had discussed a we're going to do a whole nother podcast on that because just the issue with schools and what they have to do for reopening is huge. You know, there's just so many different branches, if you will. And, and the fever scan, it's really going to probably play a very important role in them returning. You mentioned vendors and I found that really interesting because when I think of even, you know, mom and pop businesses, small town, small businesses, you think of the the coffee houses and the restaurants and the amount of vendors besides retail for stocking, um, but just in the sense of the food deliveries and, uh, you know, all of their supplies and the vendor, I mean, that, that's a big part, isn't it? Of what businesses do and need. And, and the fact that that vendor is obviously going to be connecting with a ton of people just in the course of a day. So it seems like the thermal kiosk, it, it's not just for the big entities of schools, hospitals, major roles, which do need that, but for your hometown restaurant, your hometown coffee house, I mean, things like that. It seems like this is something that even small businesses really could utilize. The technology is actually quite affordable. And with the kiosk, you're using a smaller device. And we think retail that that price is going to be somewhere around $3,000. Well, when I say that, some people are going to go, that's $3,000. That's a lot of money. But compare that to generally, I was looking at the price of these cameras were somewhere in the fourteen dollars to $15,000, $16,000 range. So, and, and understanding that this device does more than just thermal cam, body temperature. It has finger vein readers. It has fingerprint readers, card access readers. So you can do like two-factor authentication. So not only could we take your body temp as you come up to a kiosk, we could also 100% authenticate you through either facial rect, a finger vein, some other modality where you didn't pass off your ID card to somebody else. Another student didn't scan in for you or another visitor volunteer. So there is some ancillary benefit to these hardware that we're going to add to the kiosk because it will allow you to, with 100% certainty, know who that person is also coming into your organization. I think it's changed the whole scope of how we Mm. are deploying safe visitor. For schools, we have been highly encouraging them to move to a kiosk. We're trying to move people further away from the front door. This is a secret service model. And Paul on our team, we've talked exhaustively about this. And he was on President uh, George W. Bush's security detail. And Paul talks about this three rings of security. Like you've got an outer ring. And to enter that outer ring, they know a lot about you. And you go through a lot of vetting. You get to the middle ring. They know a lot more about you. And if you get within arm's distance of that protectee, man, they know everything about you. Mm -hmm. And it's the same concept with the kiosk. And we applied it for the same reasons. We want to make sure that whoever's coming into an organization needs to be at that organization, is who they say they are, doesn't pose a threat. And now we're dealing with this whole new threat which is not that somebody's going to come in as an armed intruder, a sex offender in a volunteer organization. Now we're talking about a virus and 
a lot of visitor management systems operate at the front desk. You walk mm-hmm. in, Melinda, you hand me yes. your driver's license, I scan it. Wow, if you're COVID-19 positive, too late. I just got exposed at a very close distance. Yes. So I think that's why we're really looking, how do you protect that front team and how do you do some more assessment before they're actually leaning over the desk and breathing or coughing yes. or anything. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we have businesses opening, but of course we've had essential businesses remain open with the mask, the glass, the whatever they could do to try to keep their employees safe. Do you see this as something that essential businesses can utilize for their employees that might actually make it easier than just alone, the glass up and the mask already at that point, people are right there. So is it something there that they can utilize yeah. as well? I guess what I like about the technology, if deployed correctly, can be more behind the scenes. And this is the same discussion mm-hmm. we've had in school security for years. We see states where they go out and buy handheld magnetometers and they hand them over to the schools. And now I'm out there wanding kids. First of all, it takes forever. Secondly, I'm reminding every one of those students every day when they walk into school that it's dangerous. If I can do something more passive, because what I'm seeing a lot of businesses, you can go on Amazon and buy the handheld kind of forehead scanner. Now, if I'm walking through that, just like I go to an NFL football game every morning, well, I get a quick reminder every day when I walk in that, ooh, I'm afraid to breathe. But if I use some technology, it's much more passive in how it's applied. And so I'm not thinking about it every single day when I walk into an environment that it's dangerous or risky. Exactly. That's big. That's that's an essential thing because I, and I know you have kids and and even um, I have a teen and there's fear, I think right now with a lot of people in, in the public of just they want to go back, but there's fear in doing that. Are we safe? Are we yeah. And that constant reminder of seeing that, just like you said with the schools, with having the magnetizer, walking even through the, uh, like the airport grids that some of them yeah. did, is a constant reminder in the psyche of danger, which, you know, doesn't exactly help them to learn, you know, in that case. And I, yeah. I think there's a big part of what you're saying about being, you know, not up front and center so that people, they're, they're going through their normal routine and can have a certain calmness, which is important in really getting back to normal. Well, I think the tailwind of fear here is going to stay with us for a while. I, I've never seen anything quite like it. And I think we talked about this, um, I think on last week's podcast, I was in DC on 9-11. It was in a federal building, was scheduled to be at a meeting with the Department of Defense Task Force on Domestic Violence. And when the plane hit, in a 15-minute in a period, I went from standing in front of an audience to gathering everything I owned because I was heading to the airport at the end of that presentation. And I hit the street. I'd already checked out of the hotel, millions of people, everybody scared. I ended up spending the night, got a car service out of DC the next morning, ended up in front of a Chinese restaurant. And I think Beltsville, Maryland, my brother whipped in who had been driving all night. He went in, uh, used the bathroom, jumped in the passenger side, went to sleep and I drove home. But when I got to Pennsylvania, my fear started to dissipate. 
because the further I got from kind of ground zero, and I know that refers to New York, but the further you get away from the threat, the safer I felt. By the time I got home, I knew the world had changed, but I also felt like my world was going to be okay in Indiana. I don't get the same sense here. And I think, unfortunately, the media perpetuates fear. I think fear sells. I don't think a lot of the information we're receiving is valuable information. I see people driving in their cars by themselves with a mask on. And I'm like, if that's the level of fear that we have, that you're not even (laughs) setting your car by yourself with the windows up and not wear a mask, we've got a lot of, look at social media. If you take a glance, and I'm trying even not to these days, the amount of fear, I actually engaged with it over the weekend. I said, look, my whole life, every one of us, there is a level of risk every single day when we get up. I actually, you know, as a police officer, my risk, I knew every day when I put that uniform, when I would strap on that bullet resistant vest. It was a constant reminder, hey, you're going into a war zone here. But even a friend of mine younger than me died a couple weeks ago. Very strange accident at home cooking dinner and it cost him his life. There is enormous, there's no risk-free pass in this country. I said 600,000 people die of cancer every year. 610,000 people die of heart attack. We get in cars, 40,000 people are killed every year and untold how many are maimed or severely injured. And I think our our risk tolerance, we want it to be zero. And I think it's some, you know, I don't want to get political here, but there's some bureaucratic doctors that are speaking Mm -hmm. and they're only looking at one thing, the virus, and they've created this fear No. And I think what's hard too, like you said, uh, I mean, about a virus, I mean, what can magnify that fear is that, goodness, it could be someone sneezes or just a breath. It's that, I guess it's that something, even though we can be touched, like you said, by any of these things, it seems so much easier to get sick because often we get sick and we have no idea (laughs) if someone had a cold or whatever. And, and I think the, um, Trying to curtail that level of fear is difficult because we've been told not to be around people. And I mean, for me, bronchitis, you know, asthma. So I've been cautious, but I I tell my daughter because she can get very anxious. But I said, you know, we be cautious. I think there's legitimate things that we are to do in terms of being cautious. But as you said, <laughs> the weather was nice. My Jeep top was down and I'm not wearing the mask in the, in the car. I'd wear it to go into the stores. But it's like you said, it's that underlying, you know, we can do whatever we can. But to get rid of that underlying fear, I think, in, in this atmosphere, unlike 9-11, it's touched everybody personally. Yeah. It's going to take some time. The technology can help with this. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where, when I evaluated this, back in February, a group of our advisors and partners who are very um, influential, and so they're very well connected within government circles, they started telling me where we were heading with the schools. And I, back in February, I hate to admit this, back in February, I said, I think you're wrong. I think you're hyping this. It's not going there. You're fear mongering. But they were asking me, what kind of products or services can you sell? And I said, I'm not a used car salesman. I will never 
sell a product that has no value. And even in the midst of COVID, when we evaluated the thermal body temp cameras, I wanted to know from clients, is this something that makes sense? I mean, if you make an investment in these kiosks, the kiosks are going to work forever, but does adding the extra expense of a thermal body cam to these kiosks make sense just for this COVID virus if we end up having a vaccine by the end of the year or the first Mm -hmm. of the year. But the reminder for me was two years ago or three, 2017, 2018, we had a massive flu season. 60,000 people in the U.S. were killed that year. I think we're going to take a different approach to viruses even Mm -hmm. as we work through Mm -hmm. this coronavirus, because A, we could have another pandemic, but B, we have something every single year that up and down in terms of how deadly it is, that this technology is not something I I think you're going to waste your money on just to get through the short term of this particular pandemic. It's not going to go away. Yeah. I think that that's maybe some good things that are coming out of it. Like you said, is we've seen the last decade, at least the, the different flu strains and they tend to get more powerful, more deadly and to be able to have a better system in place to deal with these types of, cause like you said, it's, there's always going to be something that it's getting some longevity and useful. And I like the fact too, it's not playing off of people's fears. Yeah. Like a use, well, sorry to use car salesman. We're not, <laughs> we're not trying to put down, I bought many good cars <laughs> from used car salesmen. So we don't want to do that to the old outage, but it's not, you're not benefiting from fear. If anything, it's, it's just, you're trying to keep people safe. There's requirements that they, that businesses have to abide by to even get back into business. But also there is a level of security that helps give some peace of mind. And I think that's an important aspect because we don't want people to be fearful and going back to work. Consumers, you know, we want people to be safe, but we also want people to be able to start making a living again and the economy going. So it's a real careful marriage of of both of those things, I think, right? No, I agree. And I think what I've heard from our team when I put out an email a little over a week ago. So kind of in advance of our governor, a new announcement was coming last Friday and I kind of thought I had an idea where we were going here in Indiana. So I wanted our team to know, hey, here are the things we're doing. Here's the plan that we have. We've been talking about this as a leadership team for multiple times a week. And so we're not going to thrust everybody back into the workplace. Here's phase one. Here's phase two. We know we have employees that have family members that are much higher risk. And that is because of some pre-existing health issues. You're not coming back to work right now. We want you to stay at home. What I heard from our employees was that was such a huge relief to just hear that and understand we care about you. So to do things like sanitizing the office or using kiosks that are taking body temperatures, if I can help relax at the same time, further protect all these things kind of together, hopefully will help dissipate the fear over time. Yes. Yes, exactly. You brought up something, um, earlier and I just wanted to to ask you to get in. I was sitting here thinking of you had talked about kiosks kind of in the entryways, but 
what I'm wondering about is places like churches, places that have maybe a little more of a larger gathering area, if, if you will, uh, churches, but even places like concert venues. I know my, mm-hmm. my daughter has, to, my daughter is, is praying deeply that she can still go to her concert um, in <laughs> July for Harry Styles. <clears throat> and, you know, it got me to thinking about that because concert venues, et cetera, are those places, churches, concert venues, wherever there's crowd gatherings, uh, ballrooms at a hotel. I mean, when people start functions, proms, yeah. I mean, there are all sorts of events. The kiosk, is that something that can be utilized in these types of venues? I think in some settings, yes. And it really kind of mirrors what we've done with security as a whole when you start adding in at certain venues layered security like walking through the metal detectors or magnetometers so if i go to a nba game it's common practice now that i'm walking through these devices so you could very easily deploy this technology where they're not really scanning into anything but it's the cameras as part of that security system mm-hmm. that could also do the same thing. I think when you get into events where you may have a lot of people coming in where they're not necessarily using that same security technology, how do you do massive amounts of people? There's cameras that can do this. I'm not sure about the accuracy mm-hmm. or if I understand the accuracy when so right. much of it's talking about reading the eyes, but they might have to go to these cameras that do so many per second and have teams yes. there that can pull people out of line. Right. I think your churches, I mean, historically, I've got five children. We've Every time you drop them off in a nursery when they're little, you're just in the middle of winter. Yeah. What are you thinking? What are they going to pick up today? Exactly. And Tuesday, we're all going to be sick, right? <laughs> and so the check-in, we're having more and more church and ministries use our kiosk check-in, and it could be for the volunteers, could be for checking mm-hmm. in the children. It's a little bit of a difference when you're checking in children, because typically when I'm dropping my children off, I'm using a kiosk. I, as a parent, am checking them in and, you know, they're down here. Right. They're not necessarily being scanned, but I think you're going to see this technology is going to be applied in, in many venues now. And it makes perfect sense going forward. We're going to cut down on the number of flu cases that spread through our nurseries and childcare facilities and and these organizations also. How many parents do you know that doctor up their kids on ibuprofen and send them to send them to school or, you know, because they got to go to work. Exactly. I, I, of course I work out of my home, but I was going to say, I used to get actually a little perturbed because you know, I said my daughter, because she can get sick pretty easily. I was the one that followed the rule of they have to be 24 hours without the, without yeah. over, without a fever, it has to be under a hundred. And I followed the rules and then send her to school, but other people are, their kids are going to school no, 101 right. and then she comes home sick. And you, I mean, you see that a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, but it's fascinating, Mike, the technology. And I think it's like you said, even on the $3,000 end, of course, that's money and for small businesses, but I think it would seem to me that it's, it's a, a great investment just to, to help them get up and running and to give that security, but to be able to re-engage 
in opening their businesses and keeping their businesses thriving and, you know, doing it in layers. So I, so would they just contact Safe Hiring Solutions to, yeah. if they're listening to the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. We can jump on our website. We have information, all the contact information's on the website. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Well, thank you. It's amazing what technology can do. I don't think any of us ever expected we'd be in the situation that we're in, but to know that there's that technology can play a really good part in reopening our communities and our economies, I think is important, especially right now. And to also abate fear is is a huge help, both for employees and, and for consumers. So thank you, Mike. It's been an interesting, yeah, interesting you. dialogue and it, it'll be interesting to see how we how we roll out our communities and get back to work and eventually get back to school. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You bet. This podcast was sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions. See us at safehiringsolutions.com.